This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Lance Secretan, the author of a new book entitled The Bellwether Effect. Please listen to Greg's interview with Dr. Secretan on podcast number 678. One in two employees are unhappy with their job, and two-thirds of employees are disengaged at work. In this podcast, Dr. Secretan explains what is contributing to these alarming statistics and what can be done to reduce and eliminate them. In the bellwether effect, Dr. Secretan proposes a theory that explains how and why leaders are attracted to and seduced by trendy ideas and the process by which these ideas then become mainstream. Greg's interview with Dr. Lance Secretan is engaging, informative, and hopeful for the future of employees, leaders, and the corporations that employ them. Please listen to podcast number 678 with Dr. Lance Secretan on his new book, The Bellwether Effect. For more information, please visit www.secretan, that's spelled S-E-C-R-E-T-A-N dot com backslash the bellwether effect. And thank you for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And today joining me from New York is Dan Schweibel. And Dan is the author of a book called Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. Uh, good day to you, Dan. How are you doing? So happy to be here with you. Thanks for having me on. Ah, you're quite welcome. And thanks for uh, taking the time to speak about your uh, new book, uh, your New York Times bestselling author. And Dan, I'm going to let our listeners know something about you. Um, Dan is a New York Times bestselling author. He's a partner and research director at Future Workplace and the founder of both Millennial Branding and WorkplaceTrends.com. Though his companies, he's conducted through his companies, he's conducted thousands of research studies and worked with major brands, including American Express, GE, Microsoft, IBM, Coca-Cola, and Oracle. Dan's been recognized on several lists, including Inc. 30 Under 30 and the Forbes 30 Under 30. Well, Dan, again, uh, interesting book, great title, and an opportunity today to talk to our listeners Um what you talk about in here, and one of the ways you start this off, is that the technology is isolating and creating loneliness amongst the workforce today. And I couldn't uh, agree with you more. I see it happening more and more and more, and I see it happening all over. What tools and advice would you provide to our listeners out there who are feeling this way and how do you kind of recommend they get reconnected? Well, it first starts off with awareness. We think we're so connected, but a lot of those connections are weaker because we're not having face-to-face conversations or phone calls. And so we are sending email back and forth, back and forth, yet one face-to-face interaction is more successful than 34 emails, right? And so people would much rather use technology as a crutch than as a bridge to more human interaction. And that's really summarized my whole career. Like early on, I was using technology and social media to connect with so many people, but it wasn't until I met them in real life where I started to make friends and build strong relationships that have really added up for me. And as I became a leader in you know, my company and outside, even outside my company, so 
I think using technology the right way, using it to get to a specific area. So using an Outlook or Google Calendar to get in sync and make sure everyone goes to the right place at the right time. But once you're in that room, once you're in that office birthday party or on that corporate retreat uh, or even just in a, a board meeting, make sure that the technology is off and that you're present with the people that you're with. Because if you are still using that technology when you are and in that physical location, you're not really there. You're not really using it for the right purpose. And the purpose is to get you there, but not to use that time to interact, brainstorm, collaborate, and get to know your teammates better. Yeah, I, I've coined a little term that I think is pretty appropriate. And that is, you know, you see, it doesn't matter if somebody's 50 years old or they're 30 years old or they're 22 years old. It crosses all age groups and, and uh, categories. And, you know, they, the, most of them have what I call downhead syndrome. You know, it's just I'm either got my head in the iPad or I have on the phone. Uh, and it really is very difficult to connect, get connected. And you mentioned that work tenure across all age groups, as I just said, has declined and global disengagement as is at an all time low. What does a healthy, productive and, as you say, inspired workplace look like? And what do employers need to do to create a healthy work environment for people so that this isn't occurring as much? Yeah, global disengagement and uh, and those who are actively disengaged is 85% of the global workforce. So people are not doing work that's meaningful to them and not doing that work with people who they feel strongly about, and that's a problem. So we've, we have a toxic work environment in the U.S. and other parts of the world. People are working harder than ever before without additional pay, and because of technology, we're always on call. Not having your phone is the new vacation because the second you have your phone, you're, you feel guilty. You feel like you need to respond to emails. You feel like you have to answer your manager's text. And because of that, work is 24-7. You're not getting away from it. And that can be a big problem. Uh, and you see companies like Daimler in Germany that have a program called Mail on Holiday. If you email an employee when they're on vacation, your email is automatically deleted, which creates a behavior of giving people space to unwind and have time away from the work they're doing. And I think, you know, I, I think we have to treat everyone like adults in the workplace. So to create all these rules around technology is, is losing its meaning. Instead, we have to, as leaders, create behaviors by having people follow our lead, uh, which is the whole point of a leader, right? So you know, if you're a leader who is not using their phone during a meeting, other people will see that and won't use it as well. Uh, you could have, and I've interviewed a ton of people for the book who have done this, you know, in the workplace, they put their phones in the middle of the table so people are attentive and there's no excuses. Uh, at home, I interviewed someone for the book who used to look at a screen and have his wife look at a screen in, in their bed and then they made a rule to not have their phone in the same room. And that's been healthier. They've had more engaging conversations as a result. So it's the first step's awareness. You know, are you doing it? Are you overusing and misusing it? 
you can use like rescuetime.com to see how much time you're spending on different technology uh, tools and websites to get a sense of how much time is wasted uh, or if you're spending too much of your communication on these networks uh, and then reallocate some of that time to picking up the phone. And the funny thing is technology has forced out our basic human needs. So after food and shelter, uh, we want love and relationships, and if we don't have that, we'll never be self-actualized. And those needs don't go away. Depending on how many bots take over the world or how much we're using virtual reality in the future, we still have basic human needs. That's, that's a big consistent. You know, it's like there's only 24 hours in a day. It's not like in 50 years there'll be 30 hours in a day. Uh, so taking all that into account, it's like how do you spend your time? And I push for work-life integration in the book about how to – Figure out what's important to you from a professional and personal uh, perspective and then build your day to reflect those needs uh, and make sure that even if you work from home, you're getting some FaceTime, you're meeting with friends during lunch, you're having video conferences with coworkers. Uh, so it's on the company to provide a safe environment and the leader to want to engage with the staff on a more human basis because people want to bring their full human to work. You know, who you are outside of work, you want to bring into work uh, because the workplace is pretty blurred right now. I mean, you are who you are. Uh, and then you, you as an employee, from the employee perspective, you need to be accountable for how you spend your time and, you know, be responsive and aggressive about reaching out and connecting with others. Well, it's it's great advice for people regardless. And I think what happens, Dan, is the the programming community, the software developers, the companies, you know, just like you said, hey, we've got another app now that'll measure how you're spending your time. You know, they dangle all these shiny objects in front of people and it's very enticing because um, they're glued to these devices and they can't they can't seem to get disengaged from it. But do you identify yeah, it is model. a business model. Apple it certainly and Google is. and all these sites, they yeah. want you to always be using their platforms and apps and websites because that's Correct. how they make money. Right. And they also they also keep developing more things that are more sexy and entices people. And if you allow your ego to drive you into those things, you're obviously going to be, you know, having all these tools around you and and they become ultimately quite distracting. Dan, in your chapter on optimizing productivity, you speak about forming new productivity habits. How do you suggest that we align our habits and our goals? That's a great question. I would say you first need to know what your goals are. For me, it's about creating long-term goals and short-term goals. You know, what do I want to accomplish this year? What do I want to accomplish a month, uh, you know, every week, every every day and have them all be aligned. And then if these goals personally and professionally, uh, you have to, you know, adjust your behavior in order to meet the demands of those goals. So if your goal personally is to not drink coffee, then, you know, have one less cup per day. Um, and eventually you'll wean yourself off of that addiction. You have to coffee. If it's to accomplish a, you know, big goal, you want to break that big goal up into smaller, more attainable goals so you're not intimidated by that lofty goal. Um, and then carve out time every day to start to move in the direction so you can accomplish that goal because it takes it could take time. 
And you always want to set achievable goals, something that you know you can make happen, yet also challenging goals that stretch you and make you feel uncomfortable because that's how you learn and develop and gain confidence in yourself. Well, it it certainly is one way, obviously, of lining, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges that corporate cultures have is getting alignment between the actual person's goals and actually the corporate goals. That's creating great alignment in the company. That also helps to create engagement. One of the things corporations are looking for today, Dan, is innovation and creativity. And being creative in this world of ours today is a must. And especially if you're going to make a difference, both at work and for you personally, what suggestions do you have to helping the people that are listening to this podcast be more creative and embracing whatever it is that they need to embrace, their intuition, their ideas to become more creative in the workplace? Yeah, I think part of it revolves around people. Right? So if you're around people who are creative and thoughtful and are different than you and share different viewpoints and challenge your beliefs, that's going to make you more creative because disputes and conflict, while they might be perceived as negative, in fact, that's where the best ideas come from. And your interactions with your team inspire creativity. They make you see things different. And through those differences comes great innovation, comes these new ideas that could you know, have a huge impact on your team and your company. So I think having the people and then having a creative environment to, and, and changing that environment over time. If you're just working from the same cubicle every day, it's probably not going to be that beneficial for you. But if you're doing, you know, uh, walking meetings and you're changing it up and working from a coffee shop or from a lounge or a cafeteria, uh, you'll become more creative naturally because your surroundings will change. And then the work, you know, finding new ways to do work, challenging yourself to do things and see things differently helps as well. So it's about what you're doing, who you're doing it with, and you want to work with diverse people from different backgrounds. And then the setting you're in, those, those all reflect creativity. This podcast is brought to you by Simon Vetter, one of the authors of Leading with Vision, the leader's blueprint for creating a compelling vision and engaging the workforce. Please listen to podcast number 681 with Simon and Greg as they discuss how to emotionally engage the new, younger workforce, shape a high-performing culture, and create a business strategy to disrupt your industry. Simon Vetter is an expert on leadership development and behavioral change. With over 20 years of experience in executive education, he has coached and trained leaders from Adobe, Cisco, Dell, Microsoft, Siemens, and many other companies. Learn from Simon what it takes to develop and implement a compelling vision. Please visit the book website at www dot leading with vision book dot com thank you for listening those are great uh 
things for people to remember, you know, going, taking walking um, ideas, reading something completely different that they wouldn't read. So the synapses of their brains refire in a new way. These are all ways to help people get more and more creative. And I've yeah, done and that's a lot an of work. Important part, what you, what, that's an important, important, important part of what you're just saying too. If you like, even in politics, if you're just following people who share the same beliefs as you, you're not going to challenge those beliefs. And, you know, you're going to, you know, just take it as almost like propaganda and, and buy into it. Whereas if you're following people with different beliefs and viewpoints and political views, that's healthier because you're getting a more complete picture of what's happening in the world. So I think what you just said is absolutely, it's, it's not even just who you surround yourself with, but it's where you get your news and information from. Most definitely. I think it's, it's one way to get a unique perspective it also helps you rewire and refire your brain um, because it isn't something you normally would read. Because if you just stay around the same old people, do the same old thing, you're obviously going to get usually the same old results. So try and step out of the box a bit. And you're a big advocate of shared learning culture. So oh, why is it big. important to have a culture that embraces shared learning? And what are some of the things that we can do to create a really good shared learning environment in our workplaces? Yeah, great question. This is one of my favorite chapters in the book. Chapter three is practice shared learning. And the reason why I think it's so important is because in the past, true power and influence was created by holding on to information. You know, whoever controlled the information had the most power in society and within organizations. That's no longer the case. Think of, think of social media. Think of even your podcast. Like, the more you give, the more information you share, the more influential you become, the larger your platform, and the more opportunities that are created for you. Um, and in today's world, the average relevancy of a learned skill is only five years. Things are changing so very fast that the only way to keep up is to share what you know and have others reciprocate, pass along the, the knowledge and not be selfish. And to me, this is so important. And again, like overall from this book, like it's all about touch points, right? Every time you share something, every time you acknowledge and recognize someone in the workplace, you know, every time you have a, a more of an emotional meeting and you resolve conflicts, every time you, you know, uh, take a, a walking meeting with a coworker, they're all touch points that uh, add up to high engagement, right? So shared learning is a touch point. And the more you share, the more you create a culture where other people feel comfortable with sharing and the smarter your team is, more productive they are and the better it is for everyone um, because things are just moving. So business is moving at the speed of light at this point. Every, you know, all these companies and industries are being disrupted. So it's only to your organization's benefit if you create a culture where people feel comfortable sharing for the betterment of the team. And by doing that, people get their own education and are able to solve problems faster. And frankly, they need to. Yeah, it's true. And that, that leads me on to this diverse ideas in the workplace. Uh, you are certainly somebody who encourages that. And what I'd like to know and what our listeners would probably like to know is what are some of the barriers to creating diverse ideas and how can we better create an environment that spawns new innovative ideas? 
first is there's communication issues that happen, right? People speak different languages. They come from different backgrounds. There are different cultural norms. So you need to, as a leader, create a safe environment for everyone so that people see and hear those differences and they accept them and move on. Second thing is external resistance. Just a lot of politics within organizations and your team members might not be as supportive of diverse ideas. And so, you know, I have a whole chapter in hiring for personality. I think it's important to hire people who are open and it's almost like asking them during the interview, you know, uh, you know, tell me a situation where you, you know, interacted or worked with someone who had a very different viewpoint or came from a different background and, and how you best work together like that, that I think would help you, you know, best create a, an environment where diverse ideas are, sh- are shared and accepted. Um, I think, you know, internal resistance, people are, are fearful, you know, fear is the great barrier to change and creativity and diversity. So I think that people fear what they don't understand. And because a lot of organizations have always done things one way, they continue to do those things the same way. And we need to break free from that because that's not healthy and it's not going to bring people forward to the next uh, chapter. And then unconscious bias. Uh, And actually, this is like one of the benefits of technology. Artificial intelligence is proven to eliminate hiring bias. So using artificial intelligence you know, these robots don't care if you're a man or a woman or you know, white or African-American. They just want to pick the best candidate with the specific keywords and talents and skills. And so that, that is a good use case for it. But we do have unconscious bias. You know, we're, we're not thinking about it, but subconsciously we are aligning ourselves with people who are more like us when the people who are, aren't like us can, can actually make us better, improve, and make the work culture more interesting, creative, and innovative. Yes, and, you know, with that being said, uh, you state after the thousands of people that you've surveyed globally in the workplace uh, that you discovered that people generally want an environment where it's open, honest, transparent communications. And to me, that that's probably not so surprising but what are some of the benefits and the pitfalls, if of any, of having this type of environment? I can't imagine there'd be any pitfalls, but what are the benefits in your estimation? There's only one. There's only one pitfall. What's that? Yeah, so we work with Virgin Pulse, and we surveyed over 2,000 managers and employees in 10 countries. Uh, but overall, I mean, the only potential pitfall to creating a healthy, exciting work environment mm-hmm. is the legal aspect, right? And so, like, of course, like, if you're a leader and you're, you know, you're, you're about to have a very emotional conversation with an employee uh, or you're going to say something that could be edgy, you want to certainly ask HR first about what the legal parameters are. Uh, it's something that, you know, I try not to talk about too much because it might seem boring or not exciting or restrictive, but it's reality, especially with big companies. No one wants to get sued. But once you get past that, there are no other drawbacks because people want to bring their full human to work. They want to bring who they actually are outside of work into the workplace. And it happens naturally. If you're having 
you know, a great life outside the workplace, you might want to talk about it to your coworkers. You'll be happier. So you'll bring more joy into the workplace. Um, if you are having a good work day, you're going to be smiling when you're around your children or your wife or husband or your friends after work. It's all connected, right? And that's why I spend my whole life trying to improve workplace cultures because if you do that, it improves someone's overall life because we spend a third of our lives working. So my thought is if I can advise companies on creating better, safer, healthier workplaces and then coach people to be more successful in their careers and move up you know, in, in their life, that situation is going to work because you can't just have people being encouraged to do their best in toxic work environments. <laughs> and right. you, can't, you can't have an awesome work environment and have people who are not excited about work and have no direction. So both, both go hand in hand, right? It's like recruiting. It's matchmaking. You know, the, right. you know, the company has to be hiring the right person, but the person has to be working for the right company. So once you get that right, people will stay longer at the company. If you don't get it right, they won't stay as long. And that ends up costing you more. So in my opinion, it's about creating the work, work, work culture because I'll give you an example. Google has Project Aristotle. They were, they were in search of like what makes the most productive teams. And they found it was a safe environment where people feel comfortable sharing ideas. And that's what it's really all about. Because if you feel safe and you're able to be who you really are at work, then you're going to share your best ideas. You know, you're going to enjoy it much more. You know, there's a big difference between meeting someone and being afraid to be yourself and, and have, being around a true friend where you can say anything and they won't judge you. And that's what we're going for here. You know, I have a whole chapter, chapter nine, which um, uh, you read about, you know, lead with empathy. That is the chapter in the book. That's so important because everyone's going through, you know, difficult challenges and, you know, what you see physically could be different than what you see mentally. They, people could appear perfectly fine, but in their head, they're challenged, they're upset, they're depressed, they're anxious. They suffer from bipolar. And you just have to take a step back and, and recognize that there are, for, there are things you can't see that are affecting the people you work with. We know, Dan, in a recent survey, uh, and you're, you have taken plenty of these surveys, and I've just been listening to NPR, uh, at, at this point in juncture in history, we're actually seeing more people leave jobs than they've ever left before to try and find something different. Um, do you have any comment on that? I mean, because literally, you know, you talk about safe environments. Obviously, uh, the whole command and control culture doesn't work, but the command and control culture still exists and is pretty prevalent yeah. out there. So, yeah. you know, we see people wanting to leave jobs to go to someplace else where it is or step out on their own and become a solopreneur or do something new. Uh, but right now we're seeing lots of that. And so what is, what are your thoughts on that? Really, really interesting. And yeah, I mean, not surprising at all. We're in a healthy job market in the United States right now, right? There's over 6 million unfilled openings uh, in America. And then you have options, right? So technology is this new great has created this new great platform where people can start their own business and you know be freelancers and really have choice choices that they didn't have 20 years ago like i had no idea that a blog would lead me into having two businesses and three books like i had no idea but it started with the blog and the blog cost me almost no, no money to create 
And so it's lowered the cost of starting something. Yet it's created unlimited competitors because of the low barrier to entry, right? So it's kind of like a double-edged sword there. Um, so people have choices. You know, people spend job seekers spend four at least four hours a week searching on their mobile phone. So job searching is mobile. And there's just there's just a, a least perceived choice and a lot of options for people. So they so the barriers to, and if, if, the barriers the barrier, been the healthy job yeah. market. Yeah, and then and then the last thing is people are unsatisfied with their work culture. You know, they don't get along with their boss and their boss and, and the work they do and their team, that is the work experience. It's less about, you know, you working for, you know, Google, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and more about what you're living day to day in that workspace. And so you could be working for any company, but in that workspace, if you're enjoying what you do and who you do it with, you probably don't even care what company you're working for. Right. I would say it's true. Uh, given, you know, all the other conditions, I think people do look for salary and that's very apparent out of these surveys. Um, they're looking to earn more money, but they're also more importantly looking to keep high level of fulfillment, happiness and satisfaction in the workplace. And as you said, those environments with open, honest and transparent communications are the place to work versus the yeah, ones Yeah, I think we, I think we should talk about the salary part too because I've, I've researched it for many many years and absolutely I think you know we we've looked at people 16 years old to 65 year olds and and the best way to attract and retain employees is money but what people don't recognize is it's not like everyone's greedy out there oh I just want more money I want more money no, no, no. It's fair pay. People want to be right. paid fairly. That's why there's a whole discussion about women being paid less than men. It's really about fair pay. If you feel the feeling, if you feel like you're getting paid fairly in the workplace, that's off the table. Then you're thinking about flexibility, healthcare coverage, and learning and development. Those are the, those are the next things after money. So it's about fair pay. And I think that's something that I've been you know, I spoke about it on MSNBC. Like, it's something that I think is really important because people don't acknowledge it's about fairness. And now, if you are an employer or job seeker, you can just go on payscale.com or salary.com or ask people who have some, you know, a similar job that, that you're looking for, you currently have, to find out what they're getting paid. And you can see if you're underpaid and then right. you're unhappy and you're disengaged. Well, but I think it's about fair pay is key. Yeah, the salary surveys are out there and people can find it and, you know, and that is part of the issue. And I think AI has also taken a role in people applying for jobs, too. You find a lot of people become despondent, you know, putting resumes in through these automated systems and never hearing anything in return. And so ultimately, or if they do hear something, it's, you know, it's a negative uh, comment. So the, the, as you talk about technology, the whole human side of it now has been taken over by mechanization, uh, including the hiring element, which, is, uh, which has become quite discouraging to many people. But, you know, in the conclusion of your book, you have one big call to action. And that call to action, which is to put down the, the phones, uh, turn off the notifications, and become more human. Uh, how do you suggest finding a happy balance between the technology that we're going to be forced to use and continue to use and also being more human. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, technology is a double-edged sword. It's how, when, where you're using it. 
I think technology is great, and it's really had a huge impact on our world. It's made the government uh, more transparent. It's made leaders more transparent. You're seeing a lot of people, you know, get fired because of the way they treat employees, and that wouldn't have been visible without technology, so I, I applaud that. But at the same time, a lot of people can be addicted to technology. We tap our cell phones over 2,600 times a day, and looking, we look at them every 12 minutes. And every time we're doing that, we're spending less time with people and happiness is other people. It's being around other people. So this book is, should be a reminder that human connection is important. That's really what the book is. You can read the book 20 times, but really I want you look at the book and it's a reminder. You see that name tag that says human and you're, you're reminded that you're human despite all this new technology that keeps uh, growing and changing our lives and our, at work and at home because you're just going to see more of this technology. So you need this reminder constantly, a reminder that the technology should be used as a bridge to human interaction, not a barrier, that it should, it should move you into an environment where you're connecting with other people and not isolate you and make you lonely. Well, Dan, it is a, it is a great book for leaders, not only leaders, but also anybody to pick up and read and understand. And I love this quote by Adam Grant. It's a practical guide for leaders to stop using technology as a crutch and start building genuine connections with their teams. And that is what you write about in this book is, you know, shared learning, the practices that we need to do, um, optimizing our productivity at work, while at the same time being human. And I think you do a good job in the book of finding that unique balance between the two, which is what we all need. And for my listeners, we've been on with Dan Schwabel, and the book is called How Great Leaders, or it's actually called Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connections in the Age of Isolation. Uh, you'll be able to find this on the links on our blog uh, at amazon.com. As well, we'll put a link to Dan's social media pages, uh, as well as to his website. Dan, thanks for being on with me this morning and spending a few minutes with our listeners uh, discussing your new book, Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connections in the Age of Isolation. Thank you very much. This podcast is brought to you by Simon Mainwaring, New York Times bestselling author and CEO of We First a brand consultancy that works with top entrepreneurs and companies like Tom's, Virgin, and Timberland to bring their personal and company purpose to life in ways that drive business growth. He's also the inspiration behind the new, life-changing courses entitled How to Find Success Through Purpose and How to Accelerate Business Growth Through Purpose. Please listen to podcast number 679 where Simon shares actionable insights from top entrepreneurs and business leaders about how to define your personal and company purpose to unlock the success you deserve in life. Personal purpose is so important to your health and career. While company purpose is a key driver of business growth today as it empowers your brand to become a movement. If you're looking to create more clarity, success, and fulfillment in your life, and to accelerate your company's growth, then you're going to want to listen to podcast number 679 with Simon Mainwaring about defining and activating your purpose. Check out Simon's courses at www.wefirstworks.com. Thanks for listening.